1: I guess in lieu of, of each of us trying to come up with a cold open, we're all going to restrict ourselves to one sentence to describe what our cold open would have been if we were left to the whole uh, opening segment. With possible uh, I,
2: semicolons.
1: Ben, ben may be having a, a, a several clause sentence. Uh, mine, I can promise you, mine is not going to be uh, more than two clauses. And I'm going to start now. I drove out to the spirit game, comma, and mostly sat in traffic in Great Falls. Period.
2: I went out to uh, Powhatan County, Virginia, to a place that has ridiculous milkshakes, semicolon. Uh, (laughs) My friends got one that had a fake Oreo the size of a uh, tea plate, and the one my wife and I got had an entire Hershey's chocolate bar
1: in the milkshake. Can I ask a question I, before Adam starts? I'm fine with it. Okay, that's good enough. Um, ben, an entire Hershey's bar was just like dunked in or like chopped up amongst? Dunked was, in.
2: Okay, just, fully just a fully formed. Okay. A, a, an entire <laughs> full sized Hershey's chocolate bar uh, was stuck in this okay. milkshake. And there were also it was a smores milkshake, and there were also uh, multiple uh, marsh toasted marshmallows. You're way past uh, one sentence,
1: buddy. Yeah,
2: he 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 no, invited he me to
1: extend my remarks. You had, you had a had sentence to, to respond. No, no,
0: no, no, that was not part of it. You did not. Have, no, you went beyond what his question. was. <laughs> I reclaim my time. It wasn't your time. It was my time. <laughs> I watched my alma mater play two of the most incredible basketball games I have ever seen in my life, uh, winning one and losing one, um, and not going to the final four as a result, sad little toot toot boiler up.
1: Adam, I, I I should probably tell you that I saw the end of regulation time standing outside of a bar that I had already been to and left and was walking back past. um, and looked in the window and was like, oh, the game's still going on. And I squinted. And I was like, oh, there's 15 seconds left. All right, I guess I'll stand here. Um, it's your fault. Maybe.
0: <laughs> I mean, it was, it was an incredible game. They both were. The Tennessee game and the Virginia game were both incredible. Um, Carson Edwards was insane um, for this whole tournament. Like when, when the closest comparator you have is steph curry that's a pretty successful uh individual effort
1: you were good at basketball
0: yeah yeah so um i'm i'm already resigning myself to him going pro early and and not having him back next year anyway at at
2: least as much as i did
0: hey hey welcome in this is black and red united the this is not black and red united this is filibuster (laughs) ben messing up my uh, my intro there i'm blaming him for that this is filibuster the black and red united podcast uh i'm adam taylor they are ben bromley and jason anderson we're all from BlackandRedUnited.com, where we write about dc united and on this show we talk mostly about dc united tonight we're talking about, about the 2-1 win sunday night in orlando and we're going to preview uh dc united's upcoming visit from lafc the catch that saturday 3 p.m on Fox, actual broadcast network Fox, um, at Audi Field. Before we talk about anything else, though, Ben, what are you drinking?
2: So I uh, smoked some ribs yesterday, and while I was smoking the ribs, uh, my wife and I decided that we needed just something easy to drink. We we were out of wine. Uh, we didn't want to drink liquor. And so I ran to the corner store and just got some good old Vienna lager from Devil's Backbone. It's a just solid, nice easy drinking beer.
0: It is. It's a good one. Uh, I uh, went to the store this weekend to buy limes. I was going to buy two limes. And for whatever reason, the Harris Teeter in our neighborhood was uh, out of the individual lines. And so I texted my wife and said, would you rather have a giant bag of limes or no limes? Cause those are our options. Gotta and she didn't get back. She didn't get back to me till I was in the checkout line. she's like, it's fine. We don't need limes right now. And I said, too late. <laughs> I'm in the <laughs> checkout line. We got limes. I'll juice them later. And so I juiced, you know, a, a, a good dozen or so limes um, and left a couple of them out in case we want to make Ricky's and, or, or otherwise need the, the whole lime. And right. so I had to start using that lime juice that's in my fridge. So I mm-hmm. made myself a, uh, a, I guess you might call it a, a new Orleans mule. It's Sazerac rye whiskey, which is made in New Orleans. Um, and then ginger beer and lime juice. And it's, it's pretty good. There's a lot of lime juice in it. It's tasty. Jason.
1: Uh, I am having about as simple a drink as you can. Uh, I took out, I, I think I mentioned a while back that I got one of those things to make the giant ice, ice sphere. So I threw one of those into a rocks glass and then poured Patron in that glass as well. Patron silver. Not the añejo, um because I had some Hill on the weekend. Um and that's it. That is the whole thing. Um, I don't think I've actually ever had Patron by itself, outside of shots. Um, so that's part of my motivation was to sort of get get a palette for it, um, figure out exactly what's going on with it. Um it's got like a there's like a sweetness, but there's also like a little bit of an herbal note coming through. So that's uh it's pretty good. Hmm.
2: The first time I ever drank, I had five shots of Patron.
1: It's too many shots for first time drinking.
2: I wasn't that. I wasn't sick. Amazingly enough, I
1: I, I, I don't good. know. I don't know how. But did you eat? Did you get a bunch of food in you to sort of soak I, it up? I must have. I
0: I can't. Just remember, constantly through it. Um, I, I I feel like Ben. You someone is trying to get you to. Uh, follow the old one tequila, two tequila, three tequila floor, and you ruined it for them. So good job. Way to stick it back in their face.
2: The friend I was drinking with, that he, he would be that kind of mischievous. So sorry, Elijah, I may have ruined that for you.
0: He's not sorry, Elijah, nor should he be. <laughs> I got your back on this one, Ben. Thank you. Sunday night was not the performance a lot of us wanted or expected out of DC United, but they did take three points out of Orlando. Uh, nevertheless, beating the purple lions, two to one Wayne Rooney with a goal and the assist on Steven Birnbaum's opener, Dom Dwyer, um, breaking DC United's scoreless streak, um, at 400 some odd minutes with the, um, the, the consolation goal for the hosts in this one. Um, I mentioned DC United were not at their best. We'll get into detail on that a little later, but I want to talk about the two set piece goals, set piece goals, generally being a good way to, um, kind of grab points, even when you're not at your best, Jason.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's been a big plus for DC this year. Um, And and a point of emphasis, I think going back all the way to the preseason that um, that was one of the things that United thought, you know, we were good last year. How do we go from being good to being really good Um, and adding goals on set pieces is a big part of that. Um, When you've got Wayne Rooney standing over a lot of these free kicks, um, that's a big plus when you've got some targets that helps. But it still a lot of times comes down to what more can you do? Because every team's got someone that can serve a ball and in some tall guys. Um, and what we saw in this game was, um, you know, better execution, uh, especially, I mean, the, the Rooney free kick goal was pretty wild. Um, and, and he was definitely shooting. Um, you can check his body language, his, uh, the angle of his hips, like all along, that was a, I'm going for goal here. Um, I think well, I can beat this guy. Since um, he's been
0: here, he's, he's also been the first one to say when, um, like what he saw in the field and, Mm -hmm. Um, whether he meant something he's been like the amount of immediate press in the locker room in North America is unique, maybe in the world. Um, you don't have to face reporters immediately after a game in most of the world, certainly not in England. And he's been really, really game to, to be a part of this weird tradition we have. Um, and, and he said, and after the game is like, he was asked, when did you know you were going to shoot? He's like, as soon as the ref made the call.
1: Right. Um, and you know, I, I will say that some, you know, DC has got four out of, out of their nine goals this season, four of them are on set pieces, which is maybe too many, uh, too heavy of a, um, uh, a, an imbalance there, I, I guess is the best way I would put it. Um, and some of that is, you know, Lucas Rodriguez, you have to count that one. That's from a corner kick, but you don't get many goals like that one. Um, Though apparently if you're a goal of the week voter, you think it's a very quotidian goal that's not worth your time because you're a terrible human being. Um except still
0: say that vote was rigged.
1: They were it, shenanigans. I don't even think it was rigged. I think it was just people backing, you know, Cincinnati and Seattle fans backing their guys, uh because they would back their guys no matter what the goal was. And this is the the downfall of democracy. Um oh, just as an aside, Cincinnati
2: is like quarter of the size of dc we we need to uh, rise up the dc voting block and just overwhelm all of these tiny pathetic cities
1: perhaps uh perhaps uh, there needs to be better a b- better job engaging people i don't know um but uh just in any maybe like m- bugs maybe those maybe those cities more people have more time to vote on online i don't know um i can't really explain it Maybe I will, Seattle maybe.
2: just creates uh, all the Microsoft employees just create bots to.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I know the I, there was once there was a mascot competition um, for like the Capital One Bowl or something. Okay. And um, Purdue, somebody at Purdue definitely wrote a script to completely game it. And Purdue Pete had more votes than the rest of the field of 16 mascots combined. And they had no idea. They they didn't even think to stop. it. They're just like, this is fine. It was great. I mean,
1: I've heard offhand that the only bot, uh, bot voting, um, was apparently the Quakes fans back in, you know, about 10 years ago. Um, outside of that, I think it's really is just people going out of their way to vote. Uh, and in this case, incorrectly. Um, and it's probably going to happen again this week. By the way, um, Rooney's goal is yeah, probably going to lose. At least this week, like I mean, Pusuelo's chip was outrageous. insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that it's, one, not, it's not a fun little backheel that isn't really that remarkable. It's okay, fine. It's another really good goal. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, but um, I, I, you know, some of it too is Orlando's. You know the the. The header from Birnbaum. It it's nice to see him getting on the board. Um, I think Ben Olsen, after the game, said it had been a while since that had happened, um, which is true. But Also, congrats to hand, Steven
0: Birnbaum and his wife on on expecting a child, which that was a hell of a way to announce it.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, pretty good celebration uh, slash news breaking. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, Orlando's execution of a zonal scheme there was, and this is one of those things where you hear a lot of people get mad, especially if you follow the Premier League fans, see their team mark zonally, and they can see the goal, and they blame zonal marking as a concept. Um, yeah. Orlando, in this case, it wasn't that they went zonal and that was their mistake. It was that either the players didn't know what they were supposed to do in that, or they made a huge mess of what they were supposed to do. Um, because what you got was Burnbaum unmarked, allowed to get a run, which Zonally, you're supposed to get people in the way of the big players so they can't really get any momentum going. Um, and then someone zonally reads that that guy's coming to their zone, and then they go make the move to challenge for the ball. And instead, what Orlando did was um, Juan at the back post pointed at Burnbaum, and no one hey, watch looking, him. He's going to try to score, <laughs> but but they were all looking at the ball because the ball's already in midair. It's not the, at this point you can't point to the danger. It's already too late. Um, but he pointed at him and then realized no one was doing anything because they hadn't seen him pointing and then took us, you know, a half step towards Burnbaum to sort of be in the frame with him and Burnbaum, you know, if you leave him wide open and unchallenged, he's going to head the ball where he would like it to go. Um, so, you know, some of United's set piece success so far this season has been unlikely or very fortunate or due to another team's error, but, you know, it's good to see that they are taking advantage of it and not just leaving those errors on the board. They're actually making it count. So that side of it's nice. And, you know, like Adam said, if you go and play kind of a sloppy game by your standards, um, this is in in MLS. It's It's a proven way to still get out of those games with wins. And generally speaking, the teams that can challenge for MLS Cup, they are the teams that can do that
0: uh wayne rooney obviously with the service on that first goal and uh doing the second goal solo um I, I guess you can give dom dwyer an assist on on that one um for for making a ridiculous challenge that was correctly called as a foul you can't kick out at a guy um and it he kicked at him he did he attempted to kick him in the knee and that's a foul whether he makes contact or not um and and so it was correctly called the fourth official had to get in the referee's ear. And uh who was it? Armando Villarreal was the yeah. ref in this one, and yeah. he let a lot of stuff go. Oh like my especially
2: gosh. the last twenty, thirty minutes, he didn't call a, a thing.
0: I mean, if there was if there were bodies coming together in midfield, it was it was kind of a, a drago moment. If they die, they die. Is, is it's, kind of his the, approach.
1: Last week when I complained about watching Orlando play this season, this is part of it, is that All of the games at their home, especially when they're at home, end up going like this, where it's just this, you know, this brawl rather than a soccer game. Um, And Real started the game kind of strict and then just got less strict as it went on. You
0: just got tired of blowing the
1: whistle. Yeah, and, and, you know, I know referees don't like to, like their ideal is to not have to blow the whistle very often and not have to book anyone or, um, and everyone stays calm and well-behaved, but, you know, that's not going to, um, that's not going to happen very often, especially like Orlando is full of, you know, their players are angry. They play mad. Um, they push the limits. And as a referee, you have to, you have to know that coming in and it looked like he was not prepared for Orlando being the team that they've been all, literally all season. They're a physical provocative team that plays very hard. They go in, you know, the whole reason Dwyer's going in on Rooney is that he. He's diving in to try and make a sort of you know statement tackle to block across uh, and, and shut, shut a United attack down. Um, it, it's stupid on his part because he should just contain. Um, if you're one-on-one in the corner like that and you've got no support behind you, don't dive in. It's foolish. Um, but it's also like if you're a referee and you've got a team that is full of guys like that, you have to study up, know that, and you know, adjust how you call the game. Um, it would be beneficial to everyone involved if you did that, but this is MLS and, um, this is the kind of thing that happens maybe, you know, once every couple weeks. Yeah. I wish
0: we were talking more about Rooney's shot there. And cause it, it was, was awesome. Incredible. It went in off the post. It was unsavable. Um, whether or not Brian Rowe, um, got run into or ran into Fred Briant, um, the, <laughs> yeah, it was um, what it, yeah. it from the main camera. It actually, it does look like Briant is the one moving into him, but that's, I think a function of the angle. If you look at the camera behind the goal, it's really clear that Brian Rowe was not in control of his body and was just flailing around and kind of fell into Briant who got to the spot a little bit before. Yeah, and, like and
2: Both both players have the right to go for the yeah. ball. Uh, Briant didn't do it. He didn't like arm check Rowe. He didn't, he just went yeah. for the ball and not in an illegal yeah. way.
0: If, if Roe was jumping straight up in the air and Briant had run into him, then yes, it's, it's his space. If two players are, are moving and happen to collide and they're both being clean. I know many referees are inclined to call the foul there, but it doesn't make it an open and shut case for a foul. Um, and especially when the, Keeper is flailing and flapping his arms at nothing, um, and the ball's already passed. The referee's not going to call that, and he, yeah. he's under no obligation it's, to.
1: It's bad goalkeeping. It's yeah, it was. Um, it was, and, it, and I just watch the uh,
2: the uh, uh, MLS Soccer dot com. Their uh, instant replay did a good job of breaking down both of these. And, and
0: yeah, I was disappointed. Not, not to
2: toot our own horn, but they agree with us.
0: I was disappointed that video didn't include um, what's his name? Ruan, the, the right wing back for, for Orlando city. Um, it, it didn't show the play where, where he and Mora collided. Um, and we'll have, we'll talk about Mora in just a little bit. Um, Cause he, he was taken out of this game with a broken jaw. Um, and it also didn't show Ruan running over TT Rodriguez in the box for what looked like it, very well could have been a penalty because he wasn't playing the ball. He just ran into the guy and completely bundled him over. Um, and I don't understand why that wasn't a penalty and wasn't worth at least checking on VAR. Um, but you know, if the referee's letting that kind of play go and not calling fouls on that, he's not going to call yeah. the, given up this that other point. one. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Sorry Orlando fans, if you're salty about this, and I know you are, if you are hate listening to this podcast right now, you're gonna love this next part because you gotta get over if, it.
1: If you're I'm hate listening sorry. to this podcast, spend some time being mad at your organization for having bad players and a coach who can't figure out what to do. Yep. <laughs>
2: and Stop and please continue. And, and please, please continue open? please continue to not start Chris Muller.
0: Yeah. Which is our you know, well, We'll we'll make that the next thing because Chris Muller came into this game and he was he was very good. United weren't were already kind of struggling, and Chris Muller took what Sasha Question was doing and just made it way more dynamic. Did a way more dynamic, better version uh, of that, which which is saying something because Question is you know he he's not the player he was when he was in New Jersey because um, he was kind of a perfect fit for their system. Uh, but he's you know, he's still a, a very decent player. And Chris Muller came in and just like kind of made everyone ask why why wasn't he starting over question? Um or over Nani. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean Nani happened. had a couple of moments, but yeah.
1: A couple of moments, but um and I guess it is I guess we should acknowledge that um Nani really should have made this one one right after DC scored. Um yeah
0: the header over the bar was the, the header
1: over the bar that um it looked like DC just got caught too far over. And, and there was a moment where I think horror was gesturing that um, he didn't hear anyone communicate with him that he, that there was a man beyond his far shoulder Um, which, you know, some of that is on him. Some of that is on, you know, if they're retreating midfielders, someone should be screaming. Um, but also Orlando stadium, everyone's I've never been, but everyone says it's very loud. Um, yeah. And that is part of the reason why you want to be loud uh, as a home crowd is that other teams are like, I couldn't hear you say something. And this guy just had a free header. Um, but yeah, um, Mueller, I, I think some of it was just pure energy. I thought both teams were kind of tired and Mueller was playing like someone who was fresh and well rested against a bunch of people who had played midweek or something. Um, He just looked to have more in his legs than everyone else on both teams at the time. Um, I will say that I find it kind of fascinating that he seemed to be, um, a little like he came into the game and if I'm not mistaken, pulling this up now, um, yeah, they had him play, they, they moved Nani over to the right and had him play more on the left, but he really didn't, he wasn't necessarily as much of a constant threat. I feel like until he then switched again and was over on the left side. Um, but either side, you know, his assist came from playing on the right. Um, he yep. hit the post coming from the left. Um, he was a high, you know, a, a very dangerous player. And I think, um, you know, it's it's something to something to think about. If, if I'm Bob Bradley, I'm noticing the fact that Mueller did his best damage in the in the half spaces. He wasn't out on the touchline. He was inside of the width of the 18, uh, but not dead center. And it just so happens that if you've got Carlos Vela and Diego Rossi, who love those areas um, you've got to be feeling like you've got to find a way to get them free because, you know, if Chris Mueller can look dangerous, those guys can look dangerous. So that's something that I'm sure DC is going to be spending a lot of time focused on this week, uh, especially in the video room.
0: Yeah. The other thing I wanted to bring up both Nani's header and, and the goal were, kind of looped crosses to the back post that came essentially from the end line. Um, they had United's defense retreating and they were able to, you know, when, once heads are turned watching the ball and trying, it, it becomes much, uh, much more difficult to track runners. And we saw that on both of those plays um, should have been two goals. Luckily it was only one, um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see teams try to pull that more off and get to the end line and, cut it back to the back post. Um I fully expect that that's something that could come up in in training too uh for United. So hopefully it's something that we don't see uh lead to a lot more goals. Not that it's led to a lot already. United has given up one goal <laughs> this year. Um and damn it, that means Steven Streff will not be swimming the length of the Anacostia this year. Um for anyone who didn't read uh, the predictions post on blackandredunited.com. and uh, a couple weeks ago steven streff said that united wouldn't be able to keep the the obvious point that united wouldn't be able to keep the uh, shutout streak going through the entire season they will eventually be, be scored on and I, my response to him was well with that attitude and he said unprovoked from there he said if united keeps a clean sheet for the rest of the MLS season. I will swim the length of the Anacostia at which point I was locked in. It's like, I have to predict this to happen until it happens. So now what do you have to do? There was no counter. There was no, he he didn't ask for reciprocation. I didn't offer it. He just said unilaterally, if this happens, I will do this. That was it. It wasn't, it
1: wasn't
2: a, we should make you drive to Woodbridge or something.
1: No you gonna get getting traffic in uh, Great Falls I can tell you some places
2: Great Falls is not in the same direction as Woodbridge well,
1: I know, but if you want to find some traffic That is intractable and torturous uh, to Why Woodbridge. would I want that? Why would I want that? Well, I don't know,
0: Ben said it <laughs> Yeah, I don't want that, I'm not doing that I'm not offering that What you need to do is um, go Drive to, to Woodbridge to-, to punish yourself No, I don't want to punish myself <laughs> You lost I, well, I don't. I don't need to be punished. I didn't lose a bet. A thing that I s- <laughs> jokingly said wouldn't happen unless Steven Streff believed it would happen. Make sure uh, you get f- a full gas tank before
1: you head out to sit in the traffic.
0: <laughs> so what was wrong with DC United last night? Did they just get stuck in Woodbridge? Um, on On Sunday, they 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 didn't look like they're they're. Their more recent selves, um, they weren't able to string passes together. They um, were a little more disorganized on defense. I thought um, they couldn't get out of their own end for long stretches. They they generated very little going forward. Obviously, the two set piece goals, but beyond that, they only had two other shots on the entire night. So, Jason, what was what was wrong?
1: Um, I, honestly, I think a lot of it was just down to. Good old execution. Um, you know, being tidy with the ball in the moments. I think Rooney after the game mentioned that they missed several chances where they could have hit hit Orlando on the counter um if they had just connected a couple more passes or been a little faster <coughs> uh in their um thought process. And and they they looked a little they looked almost I want to say like rusty, um, which maybe that's a bye week thing. Um Maybe that was a. This was the first game they've played this year in real warm weather. I think it was somewhere in the mid 80s down in Orlando. Um, Maybe they, you know, just weren't quite ready for that yet. Um, I don't know. It it just seemed like there was a lot of slightly off. um, You know, some of it is game states. You know, you go up to nothing. um, After half an hour, you don't necessarily have, um, you're not going to see the expansive kind of soccer on the road um, that we've seen from this team, uh, so far this year. So maybe that was some of it too, is they just sort of, were like, okay, we, you know, we're up to nothing. We've been defending really well. We should be able to see this thing out. Um, but I, you know, I thought if I, if I'm thinking of individual players who maybe be a little lackluster, I thought Paul Ariola wasn't as influential or busy as we usually see. He, he wasn't necessarily bad. It was just sort of the game just sort of happened for him. There wasn't anything remarkable about it um that, you know maybe in the midfield there was just a little bit of a, a lower level of precision in general yeah, I, um, I, ahead, I don't I don't think I mean
2: he, he obviously hasn't been at his end of last year level but I, lucho hasn't been at a very high like a extremely high level this year he's been good he's been close but I, he hasn't really been an influence on any of these games so far uh his pressing has been okay, but still not even the same as him uh, running down the defenses like he was at the end of last year. And so he's at like maybe 80% of last year. And it's just enough that I feel like it's showing somewhat.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's fair. Um, I was looking at some of his numbers um, so far this season as compared to last year. And um his key pass numbers aren't really behind last year that much it's only it's only a small margin um but he hasn't been able to dribble uh, beat people in the dribble as as often this year um though in this game according to who scored he had 3 successful dribbles which isn't too bad that's that's in line with normal performances from him um i think some of it has been um teams are now investing more in shutting him down specifically yeah and I think some of it has been, and this is part of the reason why DC has still been able to score a bunch of goals is that rather than try and force it and get frustrated, which would have happened in the past. Uh, I think now Lucho looks around and is like, I don't have to force this. I've got Wayne Rooney. I've got or um, Ar- Ariola and Rodriguez uh, around me. You know, Leo Hara has shown some real um, passing chops uh, as a, almost like a quasi playmaker when he gets on the ball as a right back. So Um, Lucho doesn't have the reason to take as many risks and thus isn't necessarily giving us those, um, you know, jaw dropping kind of moments. Um, I do think that Ben brings up a good point though, in, in the, the pressing side of the game, I think that's become more, it's almost like that's now um, Rodriguez has almost more responsibility in that department than Yamil Assad did. Um, Which is wild to say, because Assad was, it was one of Assad's great qualities, but um, Rodriguez has been really good in that department. And so I think some, some of it is just, you know, the guys around him are kind of letting Lucho not necessarily have to be spectacular. Um, and some of it is just, you know, I don't think he's been quite as, yeah, I don't want to say he's been bad by any stretch, but just not quite where it was last year for him, but still, you know, I think he led, yeah, he led United in touches, so it wasn't like he was uninvolved in this game. It's just not quite, you know, not quite at the level I'm sure that he would want to be playing at either.
0: Yeah, his usage rate is up, but we're not seeing the yeah, kind of spectacular moments. that Playing simple. Yeah, which isn't necessarily... It's not terribly uh, bad. It's,
1: I mean, no. I'm not going to complain about this team's uh, attack right now, given the way that it's gone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you don't want to also be like, well, it's fine. It's, everything's going great. Don't change anything. There's definitely a, an area that could be improved.
0: So uh, we mentioned Joseph Mora earlier, um, and this is really the the actual bad news from uh, this game in Orlando. He took a knee or a shin to the face while making a tackle in the first half, uh, went down, bleeding from the mouth, holding his, his jaw. Uh, turned out it was broken and he, he's had, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, um, you know, we didn't know what it was going to be. It, it, there was almost, you know, it was briefly like, is he holding the towel to his, like, did he get, yeah. did he neck? have a
0: gash on his neck? Yeah. Um,
1: because there was a lot of blood on that towel and it was not really, it's kind of all over the place. Um, it was a weird one. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, we found out today that it's, uh, going to require surgery.
0: Yeah, he's he's gonna have surgery on it. We don't know what the timeline is um, for his recovery, but I, I think it's safe to assume he he's gonna be out for at least the f- first couple of games of this uh, this stretch coming up. Where United has, I think uh, Orlando was the first of um, what is it, thirteen games in eight weeks. Lovely so hard. now we have twelve games in seven weeks, uh, which is it's, somehow it's- worse
1: probably likely that he's not going to play a part in any of those games yeah um, it's it's certainly possible at any rate i mean th- this podcast has made it clear that we are not a lot of things um one of those things that we are none of us are is a doctor um i've had jaw surgery i know ben's wife uh has also had jaw yeah. surgery Um and they were vastly different they were there were different procedures um because for example my jaw wasn't wired shut um but I walk around with uh, plates in my mouth um, forever or I guess I can't say forever. I don't know. Someone might come along and take them. Please don't. Uh, if you're thinking about it, they're not, pro- they're probably not worth your, your time. Um, but uh, yeah, I, my problem was more that like um, because it was upper and lower uh, and, and I don't think um, cause this, the whole thing, the the fact that he needs surgery was first reported by Steve Goff and it wasn't clear where on the jaw the damage i mean i think you can see from the replay it's probably his lower jaw um which is probably better news for his recovery uh upper jaw is is a more severe injury that's the the thing that i was told repeatedly would take me longer to get over because of your sign the proximity to your sinuses and things like that um but yeah it's 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 a real problem because you can't take any impact to the head for quite a while um if his jaw ends up wired shut, that means even, even if it's not wired shut, he's not going to be able to eat solids for a while. So he's probably going to lose some weight. Um, And that's also, you know, he also has to have surgery on his, but the bones in his head. So um, that's going to take a while too. So, you know, if it's six or seven weeks, that would be great news in my book. It, you know, it wouldn't shock me if we're looking at June, uh, somewhere in June as a, as a return date, because um, you know, This is not a, it's not a common injury. I don't have much of a memory of how long it takes guys to recover from this one. It's not like with sprains and, and strains, you can say, okay, this is, this is this, this is that. Um, it really depends on how bad it was. I, I, you know, I feel for him because, um, he's been playing really well and I think that's something TC was missing in this game, um, losing that speed. Um, but at the same time, um, at least they're in a position where they can actually put in a real left back with experience. Uh, whereas um, until they grabbed Chris McCann, it was either um, it was going to be Akeem Ward, who is more of a right back than a left back. And
0: yeah. has been playing all spending yeah. most of his time with Loudoun County at this and point
1: as a, as a right back as well. He has not yeah. been playing on the left. So,
0: so um, that that brings me to my next question, and we'll close the segment with this. How does United respond? Uh, obviously, we want Joseph Moore to to get better and, and be back as quickly as possible, uh, both for his sake and the team's. But while he's gone, um, do we see Chris McCann there? Do we see Akeem Ward move over to the left side, um, knowing that he brings more speed than, than McCann is able to provide? Ben, what do you want to see here?
2: I want to see Chris McCann at least in the near term, just because of the the veteran presence. And I, I know uh, Kim Ward has been training with the with the uh, first team, and then getting loaned to Loudon. But it's his first year in MLS, and I, I think Ben Olsen's going to take it slow. Uh, if O'Neill Fisher were healthy, obviously he'd be there. But he's it doesn't seem like he's going to be healthy until the end of the year. Um, but I hope Akeem Ward gets a shot in in practice to unseat Chris McCann. Um, McCann can play a lot of different positions. He's cover in a lot of different areas, but uh, he doesn't have the speed of Akeem Ward. And I think a couple of times in this game, Orlando, especially in the second half, Orlando City was just beating DC United on speed. And DC United has never been a team for the last 10 years or so that has had a bunch of speed. So. Any options we can get in there, if if the defensive prowess is good enough, those are good options for DC United to have. So, short term, Chris McCann. Medium term, we'll see. I, I I hope I kind of hope Akeem Ward beats Chris McCann out, but you got to obviously play whoever's the most solid at the back because Leo Harrow is always going to be bombing forward. So,
1: yeah, and and Ben brings up a good point that this isn't a particularly fast team um, out. I was thinking earlier that outside of Hamid and Knaus, um, for as far as speed at their position compared to their peers in the league, I think those two are pretty high uh, up amongst their, their peers at their positions. But um, most of the other positions, you, you know, Rooney and Lucho are not above average in terms of speed. Uh, Ariel is above average, but not necessarily top tier. Um, Rodriguez, I think, is maybe a step slower than Areola. Um, you know, Hara's not particularly fast. McCann, we know, is not particularly fast. Burnbaum, uh, Burnbaum's Br- okay. He, he's maybe slightly above average for a center back, but Briant is slightly below average for a center back. So you look all over the field, and there's just not a ton of, of speed anywhere with the field players. So um, losing Mora, who was one, one of, if not the fastest field player uh, that DC had uh, in their starting lineup, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's not going to necessarily get the attention it deserves uh, league-wide, but I think around here we're going to notice it pretty quickly, and I think they are going to have to adjust. They're going to have to drop a little deeper, um, not necessarily take as many risks um, because they don't have that recovery speed uh, anywhere back there. Um, I hope it's not nearly the problem that the Red Bulls had last year when they lost Kamar Lawrence and had to turn to uh, Connor Lade. Um, which caused them to completely alter their tactics and and will find themselves once again not winning MLS cup, um, which I'm glad I get to bring up. Um, <laughs> but yeah um, you know the, the other side of this is that McCann you know his style of play is different. Mora is very much up and down the line. He's not um, drifting inside too much. He's not looking to switch the point of attack. It's combined get out and overlap. Um, McCann, because he doesn't have the speed to do that, doesn't really overlap a lot. It's more, you know, he'll come forward to help support the attack. Um, and he will pick his head up and look for that cross field ball more often, um, than Mora did. So, um, it wouldn't shock me if we, we saw DC come out this weekend, uh, against LAFC, uh, trying to turn that disadvantage, you know, turn that change into something that's an advantage where, they've got McCann doing something that LAFC hasn't seen out of DC United yet by trying to ping that ball um, from the left over to the right for Ariola. So um, you might see some attempts to engage that a little more to sort of make up for um, the absence of that speed on the overlap. Um, but, you know, that's still something that it doesn't just happen when you th- say, oh, this, this could work. It's going to take some work on the training ground. It's going to take some, uh, you know, we'll find out how much they've really gotten out of it because up to this point, it's theoretical for us with what McCann can do. We've only got this one game um, in which he was put under a lot of pressure in a, in a way that's not really good for him um, having to deal with Ruan. Who's one of, or I should say Huan, on um, who's one of the fastest players in the league. Um, good news. Uh, LAFC, you know, they don't have a speedster like that on their front line. Bad news. What they do have is Carlos Vela, Uh, So uh, it's a different challenge that, you know, McCann's going to have to be good immediately uh, for, for this uh, next game to go well. That's it for this segment.
0: We'll talk more about the game against LAFC in just a second. Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me.
2: Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile?
0: Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, you are. in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? back to filibuster the black and red united podcast dc united return to buzzard point this saturday for a nationally televised afternoon visit from the west leading los angeles football club fox big fox network fox will have coverage starting at 3 p.m our good friend alicia rodriguez covers lafc over at angels on parade and she's here now to help us preview this one welcome back to filibuster
3: Hi, guys. Thanks again for having me on. I don't know how many years it's been, but this is a nice little tradition we've got.
0: Yeah, we we love it. We're we're glad you have a team again and are, are a regular back on the show. And as a regular, you know what our first question is. What are you drinking?
3: Uh, tonight, I have a Cabernet Sauvignon. I uh, got a fancy bottle opener at Christmas, and um, I've been drinking a lot of sparkling wine, which you can't use the fancy ones on. And so I got a regular bottle yesterday, and I've been doing drinking it little by little since then.
0: So nice. like I got to ask: a, Is it is it a rabbit is style?
2: It, is it a fan what, what kind of fancy? Is it the
0: Houdini with the clamp that goes it, around it?
3: It's got a needle, so you stick a needle down and pump it a few times, and then it comes out.
1: Oh, whoa! Uh, I have to admit, uh, the thing that Adam just described—that uh, could be literally anything. Uh, <laughs> I have no concept of what he even means. <laughs> um and, and and i was willing to believe it but i also have to concede that i'm willing to believe adam about this thing that he could be completely making up
0: well now i want readers or, or listeners to to draw what they think jason's not not what i'm talking about but what jason hey, what, what i'm talking about is i really <laughs> want to see that <laughs> I want to see those drawings. That's art. I want to see. And and I will not claim a patent on anything that is drawn or, or sent in <laughs> if it's better than the actual Houdini lever clamp thing. Anyway, Alicia, um, back in the day when uh, Shivas USA was a thing and, and the goat parade was, was your, your site. Um, did you ever think you'd be on our show talking about, uh, I'll say a non galaxy LA MLS team with its own stadium, visiting a DC United soccer specific stadium with both teams in first place.
3: Uh, in the cheapest USA days, I would say, uh, I probably wasn't thinking that was going to
0: happen. Um, the, the number of unlikely things, at least from the perspective of 2006, 2007, um, they're not, not that far back, I guess, 2012, 2013 right. uh, is the number of unlikely things from then to now is, it, I, I just felt it needed to be sure. needed to be said.
3: And I think, um, I think as soon as l e f c was announced, you know, that was sort of like the, uh, the hope, you know, that like little bit in the back of your mind that has been kind of beat down for years and years. And you sort of think, well, we can't have nice things. This has been proven, but maybe there's a chance that the second time they can get it right. And um, obviously it's very early, um, but so far in the second season, uh, things are going really well. And yeah, they have their own stadium. They barely beat DC to get the stadium, but uh, I know for a long time that was the like uh, Twitter question was which, which team will get a, a stadium first, the new LA team or uh, DC United. It turns out we both got it the same year. So
2: at least we all beat um, NYCFC.
3: Exactly. Um, although I feel a little bit of, you know, a twinge of sympathy, obviously for them. Yeah. I went through the same situation with uh, Chivas for a long time.
0: New England, but, um, I feel less sympathy for.
3: No, that that's understandable, but um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it's really kind of a, uh, it's a uh, 180. I think I did the numbers right. It's a 180 turn from uh, where we were like five years ago, um, and it feels really good right now. Obviously. <laughs>
0: I mean, you guys got your own uh, docu-series as well, We Are LAFC. What have you thought of of that?
3: I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty – it's getting to the point where I think, um, you know, these series aren't necessarily, like, such a unique thing in and of themselves. I mean, uh, all kinds of sports do them. And you'll even see in some of the, like, regional – uh, Sports Network sometimes will do a show like this like for for example for a long time the Galaxy had a similar show on their station because the Lakers had their version the Dodgers have their version etc and the Galaxy were they were doing their version until I think the middle of 2017 and they pulled the plug on it abruptly because things were going so bad that they really didn't have anything fun to talk about um, so in in and of itself it's it's not necessarily unusual but I think the show obviously On some level, it's not like you're really getting, you know, real nitty gritty, like drama necessarily on it. There's a lot of like uh, positive press, let's say, uh, surrounding the team, you know, as far as what they display and kind of what they highlight and sort of trying to build a mystique around the team. And I think, I think for LAFC fans, that's like, um, you know, candy, right? Like they want to eat all that up, but I think anyone who's really like taking a step back and looking at it sort of sees that there's a a pretty slick sheen on the whole thing. That being said, I do think that there were quite a few moments that, um, you know, for casual fans, for diehard fans, there were a few things that you're like, wow, this is pretty interesting. And I'm pretty surprised that they put that in the series. Like, I think the best episode of the series, I believe it's episode seven. It's when they um, go to Chicago and get blown away and uh, like nothing goes right. They have, they show part of a team meeting after the game. Bob Bradley yells at Andre Horta and he ends, the the episode ends with him like cursing, um, which is a pretty big surprise. (laughs) It's not the kind of thing that you would think the the show would end on, but it's just like, you know, this is F and BS dunk credits and, uh, wow. that was a pretty entertaining way for the episode to end. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, you know, there's, there's some padding, but I, I think there were, there was plenty to kind of sink your teeth into and, and, um, find interesting for sure.
0: I guess something Bob Bradley said, presumably when he was a little calmer uh, at one point is that he needed Carlos Vela to step up and be I, the, the quote I, I've seen ascribed is the Messi of MLS, and it, people understandably reacted, you know, how, how they react when anyone compares anyone to, Mel, to to Messi, but Carlos Bale has been a little bit unplayable so far this year. What Has he just kind of come into his own, uh, or I guess got his feet under him after a year in the league, or or is there something more here?
3: Uh, I think that I don't know if it's necessarily Bob prodding him to you know be like messy, but I definitely think that he's motivated. Um, he made it very clear that he's um, gutting for MLS MVP this year. Um, one of the big surprises I found with Carlos last year was uh, he's a player that I think was really good, but coming in, a lot of people were nervous about him because he had this reputation in Spain in England and playing for Mexico that he didn't really care. He didn't like soccer that much. He was very like flighty and um, aloof. And so I think there was understandable concerns, especially in light of what we, you know, not that all players from a certain country are exactly alike, but I think in light of what we saw from Giovanni dos Santos, where he had basically half of one good season and he was terrible. Otherwise um, for the galaxy, it's understandable to have some concerns because I think their careers had been pretty similar in Europe. Um, But I thought Carlos was really good last year. And then this year, um, I mean, he really seems like he has a motivation like I've never seen before. Um, I think he on some level is trying to prove people wrong who thought that he, you know, was this lazy, you know, rich guy who didn't have a care in the world and doesn't really care that much about wins or losses. I mean, he really seems like he's taking the mantle of, He wants to be the best and it's time for him to prove it. And he actually said over the weekend uh, after the win in San Jose that, you know, when he was in Spain, he had no room to, you know, really be the very best, right? Because he was playing in the same league as Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, and he wasn't going to be better than those guys. But he feels like it's attainable to try and be the best in MLS. And, um, I mean, we're only one month in, but he's putting together a pretty good
2: case so far. So, Alicia, there's been uh, some talk from uh, around the league uh, about Bob Bradley uh, not respecting uh, the Trafico and wanting to rename that rivalry. And then there's also been some talk about maybe uh, San Jose is uh, LAFC's big rival before. You all, uh, beat up on them. Uh, what do you think about the LAFC LA galaxy rivalry? And is there any chance that San Jose could, could match that? Or, I mean, it's gotta be the intra LA rivalry, right?
3: For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it was pretty interesting that I, I kind of understood, uh, Bob Bradley's logic as far as why he wanted to change the name, because he said that, you know, it didn't work out last year for LAFC. They didn't, uh, get any wins in El Trafico. So, like, he kind of wants new Juju. Like, let's let's rechristen it to come up with something that we like and that works for us. But, (laughs) I mean, the problem with that is that's not how things work. You know, you don't – it's not like one team can just check out the name and be like, well, we're not going to call it that. Forget it. You know, it's not El Clasico. It's uh, El Darby. You know, like, you just can't do stuff like that. (laughs) So, um, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think there's definitely some push and pull as far as the name. Some people really hate it and some people really love it. Uh, I'm partial to El Trafico because you know we were our site was one of the ones along with uh, our sister site LAG Confidential that you know kind of got the ball rolling as far as naming the the rivalry and the people spoke and on both of our sites said we wanted to be called El Trafico so we sort of ran with that Um, but as far as the rivalry with San Jose, I mean, I think that's something that can definitely develop over time. Uh, Obviously, it's not really going to develop in a really tangible way until either there's kind of a crazy game or, uh, you know, the team sort of split the results over time. But I do think that one thing that's been really interesting so far this season is LAFC have come into every single game so far with like this narrative Every single game, it's like, yeah, this is a rivalry, man. This is, we're really developing a rivalry here. And they say that about every single game they walk into.
2: And so, are we now creating a cross country rivalry between LAFC and DC United?
3: Yeah, I would expect that there's going to be a lot of play about top of the table. Um, uh-huh. you know, these are the best two teams in the league. This is a big game. We're really, you know, like, I think they're going to run with that because, I mean, some of the, the lengths that they've gone to so far it's been sort of like okay i get you know like they played nycfc and it was like oh the new york la rivalry right um (laughs) we had some some tough games against sporting last year uh you know rivalry with sporting had some tough games with portland oh we got a rivalry i mean it's like literally every game there's been some big narrative and it's not just like the media it's not just sort of people kind of blowing smoke i honestly think that the team is like rallying behind these kinds of um these stories to like give them whatever that that extra push or whatever and like i said i definitely think that's going to continue this week and i think it's going to be you know first versus second like you know this is a huge test this is you know we played a hard game last year it's going to be it's going to be big this year. This could be MLS Cup final coming, you know, like don't be at all surprised if the players are openly speaking like that um at the end of the week.
2: Just as an aside, I I just wanted to uh commiserate with someone else who drew at the worst soccer field in MLS. Uh how bad is that NYCFC field? <laughs> yeah, it was
3: pretty interesting because I think um, you know, I, I I think it's, it is fair to say that there's a, a pretty decent uh, contingent of, of LAFC fans who are pretty new to MLS. So when they saw their team playing on uh, the Yankee stadium field, they were like, Oh my God, how is this? Al-? You know, it's like every time there's a new fan base, it's like, you know, this is an atrocity. How is this even possible? Um, fortunately, nobody got hurt. Um, and I think that's one of those cases where it's like, you just hope that nobody's, You know, like you hope that Carlos Vela's foot doesn't like slide into a seam, and uh, you know, while he's making a run down the flank or something. And you know, luckily that didn't happen. So, um, you know, it was a weird game, but um, you know, they got through it. That's, I guess, all you can say.
2: So, so my last real question is uh, about a former and maybe future, but probably not, given how Greg Berhalter is trending. A national team player. Lee Wynn has started a couple of games, has picked up a knock. Uh, how important is he to this team, or can this team just roll on without him and he's not that big of a deal?
3: Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I think um, coming into the season, I think he was probably the most important midfielder. Um, just because Benny Failhaber had moved on, he signed with Colorado, and he was the person who played like like he played like, every game. I think he only sat out a couple of Open Cup games last year. Um, and I thought that Wynn was probably like the most, you know, the closest equivalent, even though, um, Phil Haber and Wynn played together last year. Um, I I felt like his skill set was pretty close. So, um, yeah, so I thought he was going to be like the key man, like the linchpin of the midfield and without him, it wouldn't work. And he missed the last three games. The first two, I thought it was kind of a struggle. I think LFC lost a lot of fluency in their midfield. Um, I definitely think they're a better team when he's out there, but I would say that I think actually the most important midfielder so far this season has definitely been Eduard Atuesta, who is the most defensive minded of the midfielders typically on the field. He's a guy who definitely puts in a two way shift, but um, he's the one that I think has the most responsibilities on the defensive side. And obviously, with LAFC style, that's pretty important to have somebody who is competent in that space. Uh, He's been outstanding and actually you know, he's a guy that's probably not going to get a ton of like, uh, you know, he's not going to get like the mainstream outlets, like really going gaga over him. But like, he's one of those players that I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there's a transfer offer from this summer. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, potentially could play best 11, um, if not actually be selected as that, again, because of his profile and his position. But you know, I'm not somebody who's, like, really big on, like, oh, my, <laughs> the player on my team is just the most amazing person. You know, I watch all the games every week. Um, I try to have keep a pretty level head about, you know, who's good and who's not good. I, I think he's really been outstanding. And so right now I think he's really the linchpin of the midfield. And if he's out there, they have at least a half halfway decent chance of, of getting a result in any game.
1: Uh Alicia, we we already talked about um, Carlos Vela, but it's sort of an an interesting parallel to DC, where Wayne Rooney gets a ton of attention, but there's also this young South American player uh, on the team that that does a ton as well. LaFC has the same situation with uh, Diego Rossi as the Luciano Acosta of sorts. Um, how has he been doing? Do, do you think that um, he's playing at the level of last year? And and you you know you mentioned the possibility of a, a transfer with Atuesta. Um, do you think Rossi is long for MLS?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, coming into the season, I thought Rossi was probably positioned to have a really, really big season through five games. He has three goals. So that's a pretty good start. And I actually don't think he's played that well. Um, I think he's been very in and out of games. Uh, one thing that was kind of a surprise last season was how well he was able to keep his level up all season. I figured at some point, you know, four games in 10 games in, whatever, he would either hit a wall um, or defenses would get better at kind of adjusting to what he could do, um, but they never really did, and um, he thrived all season. And he ended up across all competitions being the top scorer on the team last year. Um, like I said, he's he's putting in production, but he's he's been sort of decent, like not great, um, which is a little bit of a surprise. And I mean, one of the weird things right now is you know LAFC have the luxury of him playing decent and, and still really flying, you know, having him score more than a goal every, other, you know, whatever, three goals in five games, you know, it's pretty good. But, um, but yeah, I think he can do more. And I don't know if he's just going through a bit of a slump or, um, you know, he needs to adjust again to, to what defenses are doing on him. I think that's entirely possible. That's what's going on. Uh, whatever it is, I think he just needs a little bit of time to figure it out. Um, I don't really think his position, his place is is in doubt at the moment. He still works hard. He still, um, you know, does a lot for the team, but he's, he's missing a little bit right now, um, which is a little bit surprising, but uh, I expect him to come good. And I think obviously if he, yeah, if he has a good season, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets an offer as well. But I think we also see with, um, you know, like in the case of, uh on you know they they kept teasing that he's gonna go he's gonna go someday you guys you know he's really good he's gonna go and it eventually happened and it was um worth Atlanta's while to to sell him but it was it dragged out for a long time I I kind of hope it's that won't happen if, if that's the case for Rossi I mean not that I want him to leave in you know two days or whatever but I would rather not have something hanging over our heads for you know two years potentially while they're saying, hey, this guy's going to be the next big thing, you know, wink, wink. Um, but I won't be surprised at all if he continues to to produce and, and he really gets on track, um, that, you know, he'll start bringing in headlines and then eventually uh, transfer a bit or two.
1: I guess I'll, I'll um, finish up uh, the whole attack since uh, LA has the three forwards. Um, but the third forward has been sort of a a consistent rotation in that you never can tell whether it's going to be Adama Diomande or Christian Ramirez starting. You can tell that if one of them starts, the other one's going to sub in somewhere between the 60th and 70th minute. Um, What is, what's going on there? Cause it seems I, at least my thought on Bradley is that he would probably prefer more consistency in that spot. And yet it seems like every week it's just a coin flip as to who's going to get the start. and, And then, um, you know, you then know that that guy's going to come out at a certain time, regardless of what's happening.
3: Yeah. So what's happened is uh, to start the season, um, Ramirez was starting partly because he was in really good form, um, really good shape because he had been in the U S national team camp and he was coming off that he scored his first goal for the U S so he was in really good um, form. And then at the same time, Diamande had uh, sports hernia surgery. I think he said in December, And that was something the team kept under wraps until the the first game of the season. Um, And then Diamande explained it to everybody after the game, after he scored the winning goal. Um, So he was kind of, the breaks were sort of put on Diamande so that he wouldn't get major, major minutes to start with. And then Ramirez was uh, called up to the U S again. And so then um, I guess they figured out it was time Diamande could go. So then Diamande started. Um, And so that's why, Uh, they've been kind of swapping back and forth. I actually think on some level it's sort of ideal, Um, probably not for the two players. I think at some point one of them is going to get really mad if he continues to sit on the bench. But, I mean, you have two starting level forwards and there's only one spot for them. So, you know, something has to give. And um, I think in this case, personally, I prefer that they have the two of them kind of going after it because I think that that motivates both of them. Um, I don't know if it's going to stay like that. And at the same time, there's also the chance that, well, eventually we expect that Rodolfo Zelaya is going to get a chance and he's going to be a forward who has a different profile. Um, he came in, I, I think with a lingering injury of some sort, and then he picked up a different injury. So they, they don't expect him to play for a couple months yet. Uh, most likely. So he's not going to be available against DC, but at some point he'll jump into the mix too. And, if it's not too late in the season, um, he might get some run as well. So it's, it's pretty packed up there and um, it's a tough thing. I mean, it's sort of like a, a, an embarrassment of riches uh, to have so many good central strikers, but um, yeah, it's, it's a balancing act for sure.
1: Uh, Something that I've been interested with LAFC for a while, you you mentioned um, Atuesta at the base of that midfield, but um, no one would really call him a ball winner. Um, it seems like right now, like I thought with Mark Anthony K coming back, it'd be like, okay, he makes sense as, um, someone to do, to fill that role in this midfield, even though he's not playing very deep. Um, but it seems like looking, looking at some of the, um, chalkboards after LAFC games that, uh, the ball winner, uh, in the last couple of games has been Latif Blessing, um, how, how did this happen? I guess is what what I really want to know.
3: Yeah, this is a really good question too. Um, So blessing started out the season and he's a player that like last year, the fans loved, like they were so excited to see him. And, you know, he, I think he had a good season and he spent a lot of the season coming off the bench um, sort of as a wide forward. And since, you know, Vela and, Rossi took up the wide forward positions most of the time, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for him to play. He kind of just had to wait for his moments and, um, you know, make the best of it. And then this, this season, um, in, well, I guess last year he'd been playing right back in training. And then um, in the second game this year, Stephen Batescher, who uh, was like a rock last year for LAFC, he got a concussion in the middle of the Portland game and so everybody's like, oh, who's, who, who's Bob going to bring on? And they, he brings on Latif Blessing and everybody's like, oh, oh, my God, what is he doing? And, um, you know, he played pretty well. Um, they had a big win, so he didn't have to, like, do a ton of 1v1 defending and, like, really, really have to, like, dig in. But, you know, he held his own and they ended up winning. So it was kind of all is well that ends well. Um, and then he ended up. Uh, getting the start in midfield in New York, um, which I thought made some sense because since it's a small field, I figured, okay, tight control, you know, you got a little crafty guy who's really good at dribbling around people and, um, you know, doing a lot of tricks to get around players. Like it, it made a lot of sense. And I was really impressed with how much he was winning the ball, um, you know, against NYCFC. So it, it, I really think that something that's kind of a surprise, and this maybe is not a surprise whatsoever to the coaching staff, but at least to outsiders, is how versatile Blessing seems to be. I mean, he seems like he's somebody who has maybe a lot more skills than we ever really knew. And, you know, when he came from Ghana, he had been the the leading uh, scorer and he was playing as a striker. And then he came to sporting and he played kind of as a forward, wide forward. And, you know, like it, it seemed like the book had been kind of written on him. He's still super young. And um, yeah, I, I was really surprised at, at um, his versatility. And I think maybe he could use a little more seasoning if he were to stay, if he were to permanently become a two-way midfielder. But he seems to be showing the chops that he can actually do it. And I think that that's um, a credit to him for being able to you know, step up to pretty much any role and, and take it on. And I did ask him after the Portland game you know are you cuz he's like I can play any position I was like okay so we're going to see you at center back goalkeeper you know like well like you name it and he's like yeah give me some gloves i, I got it man i got it <laughs> so i hope we don't see him at goalkeeper but you never know
1: um before we go I, I do mostly out of my own curiosity um or maybe to update some of our listeners that haven't paid as much attention i know um you've been hoping for quite a while that LAFC would expand into NWSL as well um if you could just summarize the situation there, because there've been a lot of rumors, but not a lot of concrete uh, events pushing towards that yet.
3: Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been one of the people who writes about, uh, NWSL in California, probably more than just about anybody, just out of a, uh, a desire to see it happen. Um, so when Mia Hamm was announced as a co-owner of the team, a lot of people were like, Hey, is this, does this mean there's going to be an NWSL team? which perhaps is a bit lazy, but um, still something worth asking. Um, And she said right off the top that she wanted to see um, an NWSL team, you know, under the LAFC banner at some point, obviously not particularly committal, but, uh, you know, positive, something that seemed to indicate that that was something that there was interest in. Um, I've talked to people in the organization off the record, um, and they've said that, you know, it's something that, they're planning for in the future and in a hazy indeterminate uh, point in the future. Um, So I feel pretty confident that they are working towards that at some point. And then um, recently I would say over the last two years, there've been reports that FC Barcelona want to bring in, um, want to launch a team in NWSL, a women's team. And uh, it's something that's been seeded in the Spanish press and in the American press on and on, uh, over that time. And, uh, in about December, um, we got some updates that actually there seemed to be some considerable roadblocks. There had been rumors that this Barcelona team could pair up with LAFC or, uh, at one point they had also said that they could pair up with San Jose, but that kind of fell away. So it was sort of like LAFC Barcelona partnership potentially for NWSL. But, um, in the meantime, it looks like that, uh, is not going to happen. Um, Barcelona seemed to be kind of stuck on some uh, points that seem impossible to overcome as far as kind of branding. What we've heard is branding, um, uh, uniforms used, things like that, that um, potential partners and the league are unwilling to budge on. And um, the latest reports, which came out last week, were that uh, LAFC were still pursuing. Um, a team, um, but there was no specific timeline that they were, you know, coming out with Uh, Barcelona had for the moment, abandoned their quest to uh, launch a team in NWSL. And so um, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about a team potentially coming in 2020 uh, or multiple teams potentially uh, coming to the league in 2020. Um, It seems quite likely that LA uh, or California could be one of those teams but we are still waiting on anything more concrete as far as uh, who's behind it, if it's actually going to happen, and if it would be in 2020.
0: Going back to LAFC uh, on our way out here, uh, we like to end these interviews by asking how you would game plan against the team you cover and you you might support. So, if you were standing across from Bob Bradley, what would you be focusing on? What would you try to take away from LAFC? What would you be targeting them?
3: Um, I mean, I think it's pretty, pretty standard stuff, but um, I would be trying to push the tempo, um, put their defense under a lot of pressure. I think we saw uh, NYCFC had the most success so far with this, where um, they overloaded one side. um, They... Put their talented players out wide and and just really put the the weakest part of the defense under a lot of pressure and eventually that that broke and they found something with that. Um, I think so far LAFC have been much improved in defense as far as being able to hold onto a lead. Um, if they do concede, they don't panic. They sort of you know keep keep with the game and 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 kind of keep working and and so far they've been able to to get uh, wins or or draws even when they go down. Um, But I think, you know, given the fact that their approach with, you know, no destroyer in midfield and um, kind of an amorphous setup there, the fact that, um, you know, perhaps Wynn will still be out, I'm not sure yet what his status will be for for Saturday. um, You know, there's obviously ways that you can attack, but I think it's just kind of the standard, you know, Push the pace, get numbers behind, um, you know, overloads, that kind of thing, and uh, just hope that they don't do the same to you because that's kind of how they kill how they kill other teams too.
0: All right. So we're gonna hope United plays better soccer than LAFC on Saturday.
3: Pretty much. That's pretty much it.
0: <laughs> Alicia, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Um can you tell our listeners where they can find you online if they're not already following you, which they should be? I'm pointing at each and every one of you listening right now.
3: <laughs> sure. You can find me on Twitter at Soccer Musings, and you can find my uh, most of my work on LAFC at angelsonparade.com
0: find us at blackandredunited.com. we're also on patreon patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially which we obviously greatly appreciate find us on twitter at filibuster at black and red you plus our personal accounts which are pretty easy to track down send your emails to filibuster podcast at gmail.com find us wherever you get your podcasts and before the game on saturday please tell a friend about the show tell them about listening to this and about the great guests we get like alicia rodriguez and um just spread the word we'd really appreciate that too for jason and ben thanking alicia one more time i'm adam say goodbye jason
1: seriously send us drawings of adam uh, adam's contraption
0: wine man wine openers with levers and clamps and the ghost of houdini
2: and needles